Hi, I'm Jules Williamson, and this is Behind the Spine. And I'm your host, Mark Haywood. This is the podcast that finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. In this series, we're adopting a different formula from what we've done before. We'll interview six guests, edit, script, and produce each episode and broadcast as normal. But after each interview, we'll dive deeper into one particular aspect of that conversation. Last week, I spoke with Jules about her new film, Off the Rails. We discussed various aspects of bringing a film to life and the challenges of the industry. But during the conversation, something really caught my attention. The Spanish see the themes of, of renewal, if you like, death and renewal in the story. And um, they're just very different questions and they see very different things. Chapter one. I've been killing characters my entire career. When my characters are in danger, I want you to be afraid to turn the page. And to do that, you need to show right from the beginning that you're playing for keeps. It can seem like a safe play to protect your protagonist or the characters that you've sculpted and moulded to build a relationship with your reader. And that's what people said of George R. R. Martin, notorious for killing off seemingly important characters at the drop of a hat. Martin puts this down to an experience when he was 13 years old, reading The Lord of the Rings. Ask him about Gandalf's death and the impact that that had on him, and he'll tell you that Tolkien broke the rules. You can't kill off Gandalf. But Martin thought it was genius. He said as soon as you kill someone as crucial as Gandalf, it builds suspense, because nobody is safe. It's a skill the writer employs in his own work. Anyone versed in Game of Thrones will know that Martin rarely shies away from the death of a character his readers care about. But as he says, it builds suspense. No one is safe, and it can give a renewed vigour to the storyline. It's less predictable. It keeps the audience and the reader on their toes. Death may seem like a morbid choice for today's episode, but it is part of life. But it's also something that the human race isn't very adept at dealing with, despite it being part of our everyday existence. And while it may seem like a morbid topic, it is something that links every single culture around the world. But that's where the consistency ends, for each culture approaches death and rebirth in a different way. And even within cultures, there are differences of opinion. The great American writer Mark Twain, responsible for the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, once said, I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it. It seems futile to fear death. It's one of life's guarantees. But the lack of clarity, the fact you cannot die or test the waters to see what happens, instills a great fear within us, a fear of the unknown. Though some people do view death rather differently. Death has no fear for me at all. Take forensic anthropologist Professor Dame Sue Black, for instance. It's the next big adventure because I don't know what it feels like and I don't know what it tastes like and I don't know what it sounds like. I don't know what it looks like, but I've been surrounded by it. When those paths cross between me and death, that's fine. I accept that's going to happen. But in many cultures around the world, there is no unknown. There's a belief that once you die, it's not the end. In the Christian faith, when you die, you're judged by God and then passed to heaven or hell, meaning your soul may never die. The well-known pastor John Piper says, I don't so much pray that my death will be without pain, 
but that it will be without doubt. Islamic teachings are similar. Muslims believe they will be raised from their graves and brought before Allah and judged on how they lived their earthly lives. Hindus believe that your soul continues on through reincarnation. It never really dies, only your body, and you continually begin new lives in new bodies. The thought of an afterlife provides comfort in cultures around the world, a peace that comes from believing your soul continues on beyond your body. But in some beliefs... The afterlife means a continuation of duty. The Vikings ran riot through Europe in 800 to 1000 AD, as loosely explained in recent adaptations of Thor and various Viking television series that are extremely popular. They believed in a universe made up of nine worlds, which are inhabited by gods and goddesses, giants, men, and everything in between. In the afterlife, they believed that brave warriors could reach Valhalla, a great hall ruled by the god of battle and poetry, Odin and that they would there enjoy fighting and feasting. And aside from the blood, lust and brutality, the Vikings were known for an appreciation of poems and of storytelling. But of course, when you die, whether you leave to an afterlife or not, your loved ones remain behind. In many Western cultures, there'll be a funeral, religious, humanist, or however the family chooses it to be. And then you go on with your real life without that person. But in Mexican culture, a funeral is not the end. Each year, the 31st of October to the 2nd of November, the country recognises the Day of the Dead. It's believed in this period, spirits of the dead return to the world to be with their families, similar to Halloween, but the spirits return joyful and for good purpose. And even those who don't subscribe to a particular religion usually have their own ideological take on death. Very few of us can grasp the idea of just being gone. Here's Professor Dame Sue Black again with her unique and strangely beautiful image of her own personal afterlife. When I die, I am going to give my body to this anatomy department. And the only thing I ask of those students is learn. Learn and pass on that information. So I really want my body to be pulled apart. And then I'd really like my bones to be restrung as a skeleton to go back into the dissecting room. You know, the, the concept of being able to teach for the rest of my death just feels right. So how, with all this variation, do we accurately portray the themes of death and rebirth in our writing? Behind the Spine is an attempt to inspire you to write and to shine a light on things that might provide a creative spark for your stories. Now we want to go one stage further. We want to offer you an outlet for your work. Over the course of the show, we've uncovered dozens and dozens of lessons that have been extracted from over 50 fascinating conversations. We've picked three, and now we'd like you to narrow this down to one. Pick one of the lessons we've selected and write a short story of no more than a thousand words and then send it to us. At the end of the series, we'll pick two winners. We'll pay each writer £250 for the right to use their story as part of series four. Go to behindthespine.co.uk and click on the writing competition for more details. But now, back to the show. Chapter two. As writers, death fascinates us. It's about taking a difficult subject and tackling it in a more palatable fashion, embracing the concept of death through characters we've become attached to. It's a mild form of what we feel in real life when a loved one passes away. Not only does writing about death and renewal give the audience comfort in an unknown and an odd sense of cathartic release, but also 
a chance for renewal within your story. As adults, we're aware of the children's books, television programs and films that teach us about difficult subjects in a less in-your-face way than the likes of Martin's Game of Thrones. The Lion King says, When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass, and so we are all connected in the great circle of life. There's actually a company called Capsula Mundi that will bury you in a pod, and in that pod a tree will grow from within you, a legacy of sorts, letting your memory live on. But are we fascinated by death in literature for the same reason that we show children stories on difficult subjects? Engaging with it passively means that we can stop whenever we want. We don't need to turn the page. We can look away when we've had enough. That's a luxury we don't have in the real world. It's similar to the way that some people choose not to watch or read the news because they don't want to know the tragedy of what goes on around them. They want to stay in blissful ignorance. When writing, death can be a tool for new direction, for renewal. A character's arc need not spin an entire book or series of books to have an impact. An important character may only serve a short time in your story, but they can have a lasting effect. For this, I offer you one of the most well-known writers and well-known stories of all time, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Before George R. R. Martin started killing characters off on a whim, Shakespeare had been doing it for decades. While we know that Romeo and Juliet die, it's Mercutio, a fan favourite, who meets his end prematurely. It's his death that then leads to the deterioration of the relationships between the two houses and ultimately to the tragic end of Romeo and Juliet. It's for this reason that we must flesh out and fully develop the stories of all of our characters. On the surface, characters may serve purely as a gateway for the true protagonist or antagonist to emerge. But if you can make the audience care about the minor character, the whole story has more impact. Of course, you won't always receive love for killing a well-adored character. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had grown tired of his main man, Sherlock Holmes, and decided to have him fall to his death, a move which resulted in more than 20,000 people cancelling their subscription to the magazine that Holmes was published in. An article from the BBC in 2016 said that outraged readers wrote to the magazine in protest, You brute, one letter addressed to Conan Doyle began. When a much-loved character is killed off, because in this example Conan Doyle was sick of him, you can provoke a strong reaction. When your series has the protagonist's name in the title and they then die, you can expect a fair amount of outrage. You may have to prepare yourself to write about your lead character for the rest of your life. You don't want to end up in the plot of Stephen King's misery. That's your role as a writer, to decide if and when the time is right for a character to die, or if they have died, whether it's right for them to return. Many times a character has met what you think to be their end, but in actual fact they return triumphant in some form or another. That's what Tolkien does in Lord of the Rings with Gandalf the Grey. Gandalf dies, but in the Fangorn Forest, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli meet him once again, but this time as Gandalf the White. The return of a well-loved character once thought gone can offer an unmatched sense of relief and jubilation to a reader. Be warned, though, if your characters die and come back too often, it kind of loses its impact. But have we seen the tale of a death-defiant protagonist all too often? Is it too easy as a writer to have them emerge unscathed? How do you keep your reader or your audience guessing while still glued to the storyline and the characters that you create for them? 
It may be a risk to eliminate someone well-loved early on, the safe bet to keep them on throughout, but the rewards you can gain from an emotional investment in the storyline rather than just one character could be worth your while. And that comes down to what you want from your writing. Around the world, death and rebirth are viewed in different ways. There are many cultural depictions as to what happens when we die that you can draw on in your writing. Embellish, be creative. Your audience will thank you for your originality. As Jules discovered through her interviews, the world sees stories through different lenses. Death and renewal will be recognised in multiple cultures in a variety of ways. So consider your audience. How will it be received? And what do you want your readers to focus on? What do you want them to take away from your character's experiences? Maybe a character only lives on in the minds, memories and words of others. A more realistic story that can add tremendous depth to your own story. Or perhaps the character who dies isn't the most loved, but the most hated. Perhaps you wanted to give satisfaction to the reader that the person or being is gone. Or perhaps you want to bring them back, creating emotional turmoil. And let's not forget... We're in the midst of a global pandemic. More than four and a half million people have died from COVID-19. And in each case, the reaction of those close to them will have been different. Whether they believe in heaven, hell, reincarnation, or nothing at all. Like I said earlier, real world experience can influence your writing when approached appropriately. Has our attitude to death and rebirth changed over the course of the pandemic, where many people have feared getting ill? And has our attitude been changing for a while now, instead of bowing to death, trying to overcome it through medical advancements? A new startup called Altos Labs has just received billionaire backing to find a cure for aging. But is that something to defeat? Dig deeper. Don't just accept what's on the surface. Show your audience that you considered what you're writing about. Involve them. Draw them in. And then send them away still thinking about what you've written. Chapter 3 One thing's for certain about this pandemic. COVID-19 has given us a common enemy to rise up in unison against. Though as we've learned in our conversation with Professor Richard Bell, the author of Stolen, the scale of a problem can sometimes obfuscate the real tragedy that has unfolded before our eyes. The sheer magnitude of the death toll has made it near impossible for us to understand the gravity of the situation. And so our attitude towards death turns to complacency. We become numb. That's where the power of storytelling comes into its own. As a writer, you have the ability to grasp the unfathomable and tell it through the eyes of a small few. Shifting perspectives from global to personal allows a reader or an audience to engage with an issue in a way they otherwise can't. People care most deeply about people. To help provide some inspiration in each of these specials, we'll end with a soundscape inspired by the subject matter. It's an attempt to tell a complete story in as short a time period as possible, namely one minute. This piece features 127 of the names written on London's National Covid Memorial Wall. Each name, a family member or loved one, represents a thousand people. 127 names for the 127,000 who have died in the UK alone. Sadly, that number has risen since this was recorded, and it will continue to rise. Starting slow, one name read at a time, the piece mirrors the course of the pandemic, from just a handful of deaths to an ever-increasing death toll, rising at alarming velocity, serving as a morbid reminder of the scale of the loss we've endured. The piece also offers a message of hope, 
that these people will never be forgotten. Eleanor Christie. Captain Frank Walsh. Betty Curl. Sylvia Bartlett. Colin Piper. Mawawa Bangora. James Margrave. Jed McNulty. Maurice Allen. Maureen Franks. Philip Carlin. Steve Compton. Edith McCauley. Giovanna Evans. Usha Pancholi. Peter Shaw. Jimmy Gunn. Derek Summers. Karen Rollo. Michael L. Cole. Muriel Lawrence Bonner. Sharnay Telford. Neville Gill. Betty Steele. Jonathan Marks. John Henry Savage. Raymond Nolan. Barbara Robinson. Joy Grant. Madeline Price. Brian Rowell. Michael Simmons. Jolly Summers. Hargrave. Conclusion. Let me know your thoughts on death and rebirth in different cultures and the application of that within what you write and what you read. Share them with me by sending an email to info at behindthespine.co.uk. Your thoughts will be featured in a special episode at the end of the series. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. And next week, I'll be speaking with Tom Chivers about his new book, London Clay. Remember to give us a like and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by Oli Giyu Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.